open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to notice for just a few moments this evening, a short passage. Let's begin with verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. There are many, many famous sisters in the world with which we are familiar. Have you, uh, do you remember or do you recall, uh, the twin sisters, Esther Lederer and Pauline Phillips? Surely you remember those two sisters. Well, maybe you know them better as Ann Landers and Dear Abby. Of course, we remember the Bronte sisters, Charlotte, who authored Jane Eyre, uh, Emily, the author of Wuthering Heights, and Anne, the writer of Agnes Gray, and the tenant of Wildfell Hall. I know you remember uh, Meg and Joe, Beth and Amy. Well, you might remember them better when we understand that those are the main characters for Little Women, written by Louisa May Alcott. Now, if you have an interest in Greek fairy tales, you may find the uh, Greek sisters a familiar name. Uh, according to Greek mythology, these were two goddesses who shared one eye and one tooth amongst themselves, and they just kind of passed it around when they needed it. Now, even though brothers were usually more prominent in the Old Testament, we do remember Rachel and Leah, the the daughters of Laban, the uncle of Jacob, and they both became his wives. Now, in the New Testament, we just read of a prominent pair of sisters, Mary and Martha, and we see them and we're first introduced to them at the end of Luke chapter 10. Now, as this account unfolds, we're going to notice that these sisters become separated in their duties of which they are trying to fulfill and the result is that Martha learns a very important lesson. And of course, like Martha, we want to be able to walk away from their account learning a, an important lesson ourselves so that we can apply those things to our lives. And for a few moments tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to begin with the scene at the home, the scene. I want us to notice that there is a haven wherein Jesus can go on occasion. We all need a haven where we can take a respite from this life from time to time, don't we? We need to be able to go somewhere and we need to be able to kind of take a break and get out of the troubles that this life so often gives to us. Now as we study the life of Jesus and the things in which He did as He was going about the countryside, often we are caught up in the things that He does and the great things that He accomplishes, and sometimes we fail to remember that He had a very toilsome life, a very crowded life, a life that was strained, one that was 
full of broken hours and scanty meals. A life wherein the Lord Himself would on occasion say, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His own head. Luke 9.58 That's the kind of life that He had. And so, of all the people that we know of in the history of man, it would be Jesus that would certainly need a haven from time to time to be able to go and rest. And He found that in Bethany. He found that in the home of these sisters whom we just met. And He would be able to go there on occasion when needed and find that rest that He so seldom got. Now Bethany was about two miles to the east of Jerusalem. And often He would go out from Jerusalem and He would go on the slopes of the Mount of Olives and He would go there. And a lot of the action in the life of Jesus is connected to that area mainly because that that was the home of these two sisters and, of course, their brother Lazarus. It was in Bethany where uh, Jesus could go and lay His head down for uh, relaxation and He would go out from Jerusalem from time to time, Matthew twenty-one seventeen, and He would lodge there. It was there that He raised His good friend Lazarus from the dead after having been in the tomb for four days, John 11. It was on his way back from Bethany where he cursed the fig tree, Mark chapter 11. And that very spot was where he began his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, uh, John 12. Now Bethany was also the place where a dinner was held in his honor at the house of one Simon the leper, Matthew 26 6 through 13. There were a lot of things that happened in the life of Jesus and concerning his works that took place in this area. And of course, we recall the last thing that happened as he lived upon this earth. It was from that same vicinity where he ascended back to the Father, Luke 24, 50 through 51. Now, it's obvious as we read the account of these people and we Watch the interaction between Jesus and these three folks that he was very comfortable going there and being amongst them. He was comfortable in the small village where their home existed. And he could go there and, and it was almost as if he could go there in anonymity as much as was possible and just be able to relax and rest and, and catch up on some things that he needed to do. But I want us to understand that Bethany was more than just a haven. In Bethany, the Lord had a home. As close anyway as He could have in this earthly dwelling, He had a home. And it was there at the home of His friends. And the footsteps of our Lord so often led Him to this house. He must have surely, as I think about this, enjoyed the great hospitality of His friends and the, the great friendship that He enjoyed and the, the good home cooking that Obviously, you don't get on the road as you're traveling a lot. We all understand that. We've all traveled in different places, in different areas, and you just don't get the good home cooking that you're used to or that you really desire as you're traveling. And so the Lord would have benefited from those things. Now, in our narrative, uh, in Luke's account, Lazarus is not mentioned, but he was a part of the home here in Bethany. And uh, he was uh, had a great bond with Jesus. But as we look at this idea of a home, it, it's important that we point out and that we always remember there's a great difference 
between a house and a home, isn't there? A house is where people dwell, but a home is where love dwells amongst the people. And that's what we see happening here in Bethany. And it is for certain that Jesus had a great and a deep love for uh, this trio of siblings, and He especially had a great love for Lazarus, didn't He? You recall in John 11, verse 3, when uh, Lazarus fell ill, the sisters sent word to the Lord, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. What a compliment. What a compliment to have that stated about someone that the Lord was so affectionate towards. You know, he was affectionate toward the apostle of love himself, John, wasn't he? Uh, And often in John's writing, and I don't think he did it at all for ulterior motives, but he would refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. But that is a great compliment. But no doubt the Lord loved and does love all of His creation, but He had a very special bond and a very special relationship with His good friend Lazarus. Now, I believe that a top priority for all people, and especially those who uh, adhere to the Christian faith, those who have obeyed the gospel, a top priority for them ought to be able, or ought to be, in maintaining a home at all times, right? A home where uh, God is always placed first. A home where His uh, ideals and His laws and His commandments are instituted and followed faithfully. In fact, a home where children, in the words of Paul, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, for uh, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 1-4. through 4. There couldn't possibly be a better described home than that, where the children and the parents are all working toward one goal. And that is to reside in heaven one day. Of course, with our children's souls in mind, we need to focus on helping to guide them in the right direction, whether it's our own children, our grandchildren, or simply maybe some child that we love. We ought to help do that. We need to instill in them that they consistently serve God and they behave in the way that He wants them to behave. And of course, we use ourselves as examples And they understand that they live in such a way, whether they are in our presence or not. Now along with Lazarus, Mary was an occupant there in the home in Bethany. And the love for Mary that she had for the Savior can be seen in her actions toward Him. We know that she treated Him in such a way that was kind of out of the ordinary, wasn't it? It was common in the day of Uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, that a family would keep on hand a certain amount of very expensive and fragrant ointment. Now this ointment would be used to uh, anoint uh, a loved one or someone that had passed on in the family. And they would uh, provide that for them and they would cover them in that as they wrapped them in their burial clothes. But as Mary having this ointment on hand, she began to obviously think about it. She came up with a better idea, a better use for her ointment, and she used it to anoint the feet of our Savior before He passed on from this world. Now, many, uh, uh, many 
have concluded that this ointment was worth as much as a year's wages. And we see what she did in John 12, uh, verse 3. Some have suggested, again, that this ointment was so expensive and the great love that she had for him, she could have used that ointment in different ways if she had not have loved him as much as she did. She could have certainly saved that for the passing of Martha or Lazarus, either one. She could have maybe even sold the ointment and invested the money in some way for uh, future uh, revenue for the family. But of course, she did not do that. She did what she thought the Lord ought to have and honored Him in that way in the present. Then of course we have Martha. Likely the oldest of the three, she was always uh, numbered first in the lineup when, when they are described. She had a home of her own, and that uh, suggests that perhaps she was a widow. She inherited the property. They were evidently a, an affluent family. They had their own tomb in the garden, and they were able to afford this spikenard of which Mary anointed Jesus' feet. And so they were uh, not poor people and certainly may have been wealthy for the time. Now, like the other two, we know that Martha had a deep love for Jesus. And we see that in her actions as she tended to the Lord. She would invite Him into her home so she could care for His earthly needs. What an honor that must have been to be able to invite the Savior of the world into our home and serve food to Him. Serve up our best food, right? I can understand as I read this passage why she would be in there so busily working, trying to prepare her best that she could offer to the Lord. And so when we, when He was invited into her home, she wanted to do that which she felt like He needed. She would invite Him in to rest, to eat, she invited him into a situation wherein he would receive the love that those who adore you offer. And he needed that, didn't he? He needed that from time to time. But I want us to think of this in another, uh, another way, just for a moment. Though we do not physically invite our Lord into our homes, like Martha did, we still need to invite the Lord into our homes, don't we? We need to invite Him into our homes and we do that through inviting Him into our lives and living the principles which He has taught. And when we invite the Lord into our homes, we ought to always offer Him the best just like Martha did. Martha offered up the best that she had. Now how do we do that? How do we make some kind of an application in today's world? Well, we offer up uh, the sacrifices of our living, right? We're a living sacrifice. We operate in such a way in this world that would please God and that we live in such a way that He would ask us to leave, whether He's present before us or not. Of course, when we talk about God, we understand that He is always amongst us. Now, in our passage, the scene of the home suddenly gives way to the separation of the sisters. Now, when we're first introduced to Mary, we notice something about her. Mary is the diligent student. She is sitting at the, the feet of Jesus in Luke's, uh, in Luke's account, it is said, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word, Luke 10, 39. As Jesus was teaching, Mary had chosen a spot right at His feet, wherein she could hear. 
she would have been in close proximity to the Lord. Of course, the custom of the time during that period in man's history, that is often how students interacted with the teacher. They would gather around the feet of the teacher. There is where we got the phrase uh, to learn at the feet of someone, right? And that's exactly what was happening. They were sitting at the feet of such an instructor and they would gain knowledge from them and the implication is that they were a disciple of that instructor. Saul, Acts 22 verse 3, is said of him that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. Of course, Gamaliel was a prominent uh, Pharisee, uh, Pharisee and uh, taught in one of the two disciplines of that sect. And of course, we know that Saul was a disciple or a student of Gamaliel. But he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. Mary was hearing the teaching as she sat at the feet of the Lord. She was listening to what he was saying. But I want us to, to notice she wasn't simply just hearing what he was saying. She was listening. And she was making an effort to hear and to dissect. And with the intent of making application into her own life. And what a wonderful example for us. The word heard here is translated uh, from a word that means to hear and to understand. It's one thing to hear something, right? We can hear uh, a noise in the background. And often that's what I hear. Sometimes my hearing isn't exactly what I would like for it to be. And what I hear really more than anything is just kind of a noise in the background. But when I want to understand what is being said, I strive to listen. And I may even lean forward a little bit toward the source of the information. Turn my head just a little bit so I can listen And as I imagine, as I'm reading this passage, I see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, intently gazing into His eyes, listening at every word that's flowing from His mouth with the intent of applying that to her life. And that is a wonderful example for us. And it was for her benefit. Of course, that's the responsibility of all people, isn't it? It is our responsibility to intently listen to what Jesus has left for us to learn, even when it means altering our behavior a little bit to coincide with His teachings. While Mary kept on listening uh, to the teachings of Jesus, we are now introduced to Martha. Martha was being a dutiful servant. She was going about and was consumed with these household chores. I can almost, as I read this passage, see her rushing from one corner of the house to the other with a lot of stress on her, trying to gather up this wonderful meal because after all, who is waiting to eat? I feel a lot of respect toward this lady for her great love for Jesus and she's she's rushing around trying to make sure that she doesn't burn the bread or something like that. And she's being very busy. It's recorded for us that she was cumbered about much serving. Cumbered about much serving. Verse 40. Now Strong says cumbered means literally to drag all around and to be distracted according to vine. So she was dragging around all of these responsibilities, not really being able to focus on one thing. It was as if something else would always come up And she was highly distracted. I imagine that her stress level was extremely high in this situation. Notice what Clark stated 
concerning Martha. He says that Martha was harassed with different cares and employments at the same time. One drawing one way and another another. A proper description, he says, of a worldly mind. But, in Martha's favor, it may be justly said that all her anxiety was to provide suitable and timely entertainment for our Lord and His disciples. For this is the sense in which the word serving should be taken. And we should not, on the merest supposition, attribute earthly mindedness to a woman whose character stands unimpeachable in the gospel, and who by entertaining Christ and His disciples and providing liberally for them gave the highest proof that she was influenced by liberality and benevolence and not by parsimony and covetousness. But that's exactly what a worldly mind does though, isn't it? Again, not at all do I believe that Martha had a worldly mind. But that same scenario uh, plays out in the minds of the worldly. We talked this morning in class, I think we mentioned about uh, James talking about the double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. He thinks this way and he does something else. Well, that's how worldliness affects us. There's so much in the world that is able to grab our attention and to draw us away from Christ. We may even want to or feel a need to be what God wants us to be, but all at the same time being drawn away in another direction. We have to be careful about having a worldly mind, don't we? Of course, as we continue in our passage, we see that being disturbed by the fact that her sister was not helping her in the way that she thought she ought to so that she could discharge these very necessary duties, she went to the Lord with a complaint. Notice what she said. She said, My sister has left me. My sister has left me. Which means, among other things, to abandon or to neglect. As I read this verse, it is implied to me, or at least I feel like this, that at some point in the process, Mary was helping her sister Martha, and then she brought her attention to Christ. And then she was drawn to Him, and she sat down, in essence, kind of leaving Martha to do it all. Right? And so this was bothering Martha. And as we read this, she also seems to be just a little bit upset with the Lord. She asked the question, do you not care? My sister has left me, Lord, do you not care? I believe that she probably felt that the Lord was monopolizing Mary's time to her harm. And so she was caught up in the moment, so to speak. And she was under some stress. And, and so she makes a plea to Jesus. She says, Bitter, therefore, that she help me. Now, Clark also stated, and I thought was a, was a great point concerning her plea for help. He says the idea is taken from two pillars meeting together at the top exactly over the center of the distance between two houses. He says, and thus mutually supporting each other. In other words, says, order her to unite her skill and strength with mine, that the present business may be done with that speed and in that order which the necessity and importance of the case demands. Tell her to join in with me and unite her efforts with mine. Bid her to help me, Lord, because she has abandoned me in my effort. Now, at times we become distracted 
with what other people are doing, don't we? Sometimes we get caught up in what our neighbor is doing. And we begin to pay more attention to what Mary is doing instead of what I ought to be doing, right? I believe that this mindset can hinder us in what we should be doing in this life. The best thing, I believe, is to do our work and let others tend to their own. Paul told the Philippian brethren, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. Notice that he didn't say, work out your neighbor's. Work out your own salvation. When we notice in Galatians chapter 6, Paul talks about two different kinds of burdens. He talks about a burden wherein we can help our neighbor. Those of you who are spiritual, help your brother. Then he talks about, just a few verses later, burdens wherein we can't have help with that. We have to carry our own burdens, right? So there comes a time when as he says here in the uh, the Philippian letter, work out your own salvation. There comes a time when I have to focus on my salvation. I can't worry about someone else's salvation. Now that doesn't mean that we're not concerned with someone else's salvation. But when it boils right down to it, who can get me to heaven? Me. Now, someone can help me along the way. But I have to be concerned with my salvation. And I think as application in today's world, we look at what Martha was doing. She was being distracted by what she thought Mary should be doing instead of taking care of what she ought to have been taking care of. Jesus said that you ought to pay attention to what's happening in your own life. In essence, is what He is getting across. And that's the statement that we're going to notice. We go from the scene of uh, the home to the separation of the, the sisters all the way to this statement that He made. In fact, within this statement, the Lord made a rebuke, didn't He? He offered a mild rebuke to His close friend. He stated in a very kind and compassionate way, and I can almost picture it in my mind as I read the passage. He said, Martha, Martha. I can almost see maybe a a little shake of the head as he looks at her with compassion and love and he sees that this lady appears to be just a little bit frazzled. And he kind of takes his attention off of Mary and he says, Martha, Martha. He's concerned for her and he loves her. Now he realizes that his answer was not going to be the one for which she looked, but it was going to be one that she needed. Notice her description. Careful and troubled. Martha, you're careful and you're troubled. Now both of these are expressions for inward anxiety and outward trouble. She had a lot of inward stress on her and it was seen outwardly. She wasn't accomplishing anything. Have you been so busy trying to get something done that you jumped from one spot to the other in the process of getting it done and you didn't get anything done? I imagine this is what Martha was doing. Now this word careful is not to be understood the way in which we use it today. Careful. She was full of care. She was full of concern and worry over the things that were going on. 
Now this care and concern which she had in her life is the exact kind of care and concern that the Lord tells us not to engage in, right? Do not engage in those kinds of things. Do we need to worry about certain things in this life? Absolutely. Do we have to pay the light bill? Sure we do, so we better get a job. Do we have to make sure that we're caring for our families? Absolutely. So we better focus on our labors. But when we concern ourselves with things over which we have no control, that tends to distract us. And that's what we're seeing here. Martha was concerned over something which she had no control. She could not control what the Lord Himself was doing or what Mary was doing. She could only control what she was doing and she wasn't doing that very well. And so He says, Martha, Martha, you're full of care. You're being very careful. Because she was being overtaken by the situation, Jesus' comment or His comment about one thing is needful points to her prioritizing matters. She had some possibilities within her or before her. And she needed to prioritize those. I want us to understand though, He was not telling Martha to abandon her work. He was not telling her to stop doing those things that required her attention or to exclude everything for this one thing. He wasn't doing that. That's not a balanced life, is it? When we think about Christianity, we have to understand it is certainly a balanced life. Can we spend 24 hours a day engaged in Bible study? No, we cannot. But can we spend an hour a day? Can we spend... 30 minutes a day? How much time do we spend watching TV, right? Surely we can spend some time in the study of the Scripture. Martha was being distracted from which that was, from, from that which was most important. And that's the point that the Lord was making. She was worrying over the duties at hand instead of performing those duties. Instead of doing what, uh, she needed to be doing, and she was worried about that which Mary was doing. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what she needed to be doing. Again, He wasn't condemning her for her work. He was condemning her for her mindset. We need to be busy about our work for the Lord, whether our brother or our sister is busy at work or not. And we certainly should not complain about what another is not doing when we're not doing what we ought to be. And of course, within this rebuke that we see from the Lord, He makes His reply. He said that Mary had chosen that good part which could not be taken away from her. Now this phrase, I want us to notice the expression good part. That's an allusion to the portion of honor set aside for the prominent guests. They got the best of the best. And so what he's doing, he's using this phrase, and he's demonstrating to Martha that he has food in mind. But he's not talking about physical food. He says Mary has chosen the spiritual food. That can't be taken away from her. Martha, you've chosen the physical. That can be taken away. In fact, it will be, won't it? The physical doesn't last forever. I want us to understand... Again, that this Lord's rebuke, He's not aiming that at being hospitable. He's not aiming that at having a busy life. Because we all have those, right? 
Probably no one that has ever lived had a life quite as busy as Christ did. I think it is intended to reprove that fussy fretfulness that comes with not paying attention to what we ought to pay attention to. Getting caught up in the things that really don't matter and being worried about those and then becoming concerned about other activities over which we have no control. I think Martha, in essence, she was going to the Lord and telling on her sister, please make her do what she's supposed to do. Now, the New Testament is full of commands and examples of the Lord telling us that we have to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. He's not saying that all you have to do is just sit around and listen to uh, some teacher or someone that is a supposed scholar or something like that in the, uh, in the Scripture. That's not what He's talking about. But He is saying, do not be a fussy fault finder. Don't be those things. Focus on that which is important. And when we find ourselves in that position uh, where we are perhaps finding fault with a brother or a sister for not doing what we thought they ought to do, let's stop for just a moment and, and ask ourselves, what have I done lately, Right? Uh, we all know those kinds of people that that'll call you up and they they have find, or they have found fault with everyone, and you know that just simply can't be the case. They have too much time on their hands. That's what I tell uh, when we're at the house. I'll stop by and and Blakelyn will be kind of bothering her sister a little bit. Cameron will be trying to do her studies and Blakelyn's running around. She's aggravating her sister, and I'll say, Blakelyn, it's obvious to me you've got too much time on your hands. And so now, let's, let's get down and do some cleaning or let's do something that, that occupies your time, right? If we find ourselves with too much time on our hands, uh, we tend to get into trouble, right? So if we're busy about the Lord's work, we're going to have less time to be concerned with our brother or sister. I do not believe for a second that the Lord would have any reason to rebuke Martha if she had simply went about taking care of her duty instead of interfering with what she thought Mary should have been doing. The Master Teacher says so much to us in just a few short sentences. As we study this account of Martha and Mary, of course the brother Lazarus is not mentioned in this one thing, but it it becomes very clear to us very quickly what this one thing that is very important is. And that is, of course, giving our lives above all else to Christ and focusing on that. When we seek first the kingdom of God, first and foremost, and do not concern ourselves so much with other people, well, I think we can please God. And we can learn from this message. Again, don't take away from this sermon that uh, we're not to be hospitable, that we're not to, to be busy and to work hard, and certainly that we're never to be concerned with other people. But we have to prioritize what we're doing in life And then we can be pleasing to God. And we begin that process by being faithful to Him. Whether through initial obedience to the gospel of faith, repentance, confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died, rose again on the third day, immersion in water for the washing away of sin so that we can become pure in His sight, and then faithful living. Or perhaps we have gotten our priorities mixed up and we haven't been focused on exactly what we ought to focus upon. We need to straighten that out, don't we? And we can do that through repentance, confession of sin, whether publicly or privately.
But if you find yourself in need for that this hour, you need to answer this Lord's invitation. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.